This weekend episode of Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Pepe Sayer Australian Cultured Butter, batch churned from single origin cream. What pays our electricity bills and our, you know, trucks and everything else is our bulk butter and our butter sheets because that's where the volumes are. A small bakery would go through 200 kilos of butter uh, a week minimum. Uh, when you compare that to a, to a deli, uh, they're lucky if they sell six units of butter. A lot of our investments in, in the business itself is trying to perfect the butter sheets that, that you know, Sonoma uh, would use to make their croissants, for example, which we're very proud of, the fact that Sonoma use our butter sheets to make all their croissants. Absolutely fantastic. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Butter. It is the basis of so many sauces, of so many dishes, the backbone and foundation of baked goods, and the luxurious lubricant for toast, sandwiches, and fresh slices of sourdough. In a country that laps up margarine, what makes great butter so special? Pierre Issa is more commonly known as Pepe Sayer. Pepe, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Butter and margarine have been bitter enemies since the 1800s, but there's heated debate over what makes great butter just amongst butter makers as well. Yeah, there is. There is. I guess everyone's got a different interpretation of it, don't they? Tell us a little bit about um, butter and what makes it uh, so special. Well, it the I, I guess the jury's still out on that. I mean, it's something that, we we tend to discuss quite a lot about uh, the butter we make, which is cultured butter. Um, so it's very different than you know your average supermarket butter that's just made from churning straight cream. Um, we've got a culturing process, a fermenting process, an aging process. So the butter will taste very different than. I guess the average supermarket butter. Uh, I like to say we make butter makers butter. Like this is the sort of butter butter makers will would like to eat. Um, simply because of the 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 slow process in which we ferment and age and and get the flavour into it. It's a natural, um, you know, the natural fermentation that gets all the flavours into the 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 butter or into the cream and then once you churn it you end up with this really rich flavorsome butter that evolves and changes because it's a live culture that's in the butter as well uh so a a, a good way of looking at it is is um we all know or most of us know what apples taste like and when you buy an apple you bite into an apple you expect a certain flavor so i think the the or the big opportunity for us is that a lot of people don't know what cultured butter tastes like. And when they um, eat cultured butter, they're expecting what they get in a supermarket. And then they realize, oh, this is very different. Now, it is what it is. It's it's meant to have a certain flavor um, of the, the cultured ripened. So it's ripened cream, you know, by fermenting, you're ripening the cream and, and you're giving it those flavors. And some people absolutely love it. Some people don't like it at all. They prefer a plain taste. And, and that's a great thing as well, right? Because, you know, we're, we're not all beige. <laughs> some of us like yellow. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, I, I guess for us as, um, 
the biggest opportunity we have in Australia, say, is is that uh, most people don't know what cultured butter is. Most people um, haven't experienced a, a, a true cultured butter uh, because this is, um, how can I put it, in, in a way, cultured butters aren't necessarily shelf-stable. So all the European butters that are coming in from France, Italy and England and that are cultured um, aren't aren't coming in as the proper cultured butter like what we're making. They're coming in as a as a shelf stable homogenized product that's cultured. They just put the word cultured on it because um, either uh, a culture has been added in the process but never fermented, and and then the the culture has to be killed off for it to be shelf stable. Do you, do you do you sort of get the concept of it? I do, and we can dive a bit deeper into the shelf life and how to deal with uh, your product in a little while. But can we go back to this, the cultured butter and the and the process? I know there's a lot of processes along the way to for that end result with that amazing butter that you create. Can you take us back to sort of the milk and through the whole process that creates that butter? Yeah. So the 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 like any good product, you have to start off with with an amazing cream. Like for us, it's the 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 raw material that matters. So where we get our cream from matters a lot. Uh, so we can't just buy your average um, supermarket grade cream that, you know, for cream to be called cream, maybe we should start there. For cream to be called cream, it has to have a minimum of 35% fat in it. Now, uh, that doesn't work for us because that sort of cream would have uh, sort of thinner, thinners in, in there, like a, like a thinning agent to... to you know, bolster the the feel of that it's cream, but with less fat. So we would that doesn't work. You can't culture that cream. So you need real cream. You need basically the stuff they skim off the top of milk at a farm, uh, or they separate off milk, and and it's just pure cream. So firstly, we need that product, and to get that product, we we have to go to the farmers direct. We have to go to the processor direct and go. Okay, we need this. So for us, we, we have to source our cream very carefully. Um, we, we travel a lot to different farms to make sure that the cream we're getting is the real deal. Uh, and, and it is. It, we've got some amazing cream and, and from different areas of Australia. Now, it's worth, worth saying that cream from, say, Hastings Valley um, in, in Warhope is very different than the cream we're getting from, uh, say, Warrnambool country, um, south southwest of Victoria. Like you, the the cream tastes different, looks different, uh, feels different, smells different uh, because of the grasses, the environment, the terroir, the, all those things, the provenance, all that impacts the flavor. Uh, now we celebrate that. We love we love that. We love having different flavors. Now, once the cream. Uh, arrive, once we've picked where we're buying our cream from and then it, it arrives to our, our creamery in, in Karingbar, um, that's when we need that cream to age slightly. So we need the fat and the protein to sort of start separating. So when you, when you grab a cream and you smell it and it sort of pongs a little bit and you go, oh, I'm not sure if I should use that, that's where the, the, the culturing process starts for us. 
that's when we know the cream is right for us to, to heat up to 40 degrees and add in a lactobacillus culture. So we heat it up to 40 degrees, the cream, and, and that's the perfect temperature to culture in. So we, the, the cream is inoculated with a, a, a lactobacillus and what that lactobacillus does over a, a fermenting period of, of 24 hours is it eats the lactose, which is the sugars inside the cream, and it converts it into lactic acid. So the basic way of explaining this is we are souring um, or accelerating the ripening of the cream. So we're making soured cream. Now we call that as a product, we call it creme fraiche, but creme fraiche is soured cream. So we sour that down. Now, do, we, when people ask us how long do you age it for, because after that process we have to age it to, to solidify or develop flavors, and we usually say one month, but now the, the aging process could go from one week to six weeks, depending on the flavor, the smell, um, the, the season that you're in. So, so in summer, uh, we, we age the, the cream for, say, two weeks. In winter, we might go up to five weeks, six weeks. It depends on the environment. So that has a lot to do with it. So once we've got the, the cream to, a, to almost a completely off, the cream, the soured cream is nearly off, that's when it's ready to be churned. Because we're try, all we're trying to do is we're trying to get the fat. So imagine there's a wall of fat inside of the cream and we're tainting that wall with a mass amount of flavor, natural flavor that's developing. So once we churn that cream, you get this beautiful flavor left on the fat and that's what we want. Now, there's all sorts of, you know, fermentation's good and bacteria's good and all those health things that people talk about. That's great. We're doing it for flavor. That's all we care about, the best tasting butter that we can make. And, you know, like now that we've been um, doing this for about 11 years, it's very hard for us to change the flavor that we make. We, we don't want to change that. We love the flavor we make, so we don't really change that process. So from day one till today, the process in which we make this cream in is, uh, sorry, the, the butter from the cream fermenting is exactly the same. Nothing's changed. So then, then once the cream is right, we churn and then the, the churning process is where we, the, the, basically the butter comes out of cream. Uh, then we, we wash off all that, all that buttermilk of it. So we, we strain out the buttermilk. That's obviously collected and, and distributed to a, to a lot of chefs use it, a lot of the farmer's markets, people that want to make really nice pancakes, marinate chicken. Uh, and then once the, the buttermilk's taken off, we then wash off all the buttermilk off the, the butter so there's no tainted flavors because that's where we get a lot of um, uh, the, the flavor in the butter comes from the buttermilk as well. So you need to take that off. Uh, because that's more of a protein, it can affect the shelf life. Uh, and then once once we need the butter, it's packed. That's it. It's done. So so once it, once you churn, your process is pretty much done. Uh, and then and then it it depends on how you like eating the butter. So 
So if we if we go through that briefly, is is when you first get a pack of butter that's you know one day or two days or three days old, um, it's going to be sour, tangy. You know, it's got those characteristics, and then as it ages up to that you know, two-week mark, it changes again. It becomes a little bit less tangy, uh, less sour, and it starts taking on more of a, more of a, the, the butter even becomes a little bit more solid in texture and, and the flavors starting to ripen. And as you get on and on and on um, throughout that three-month period of the butter, it, it can almost go cheesy, you know, and and that, I mean, you cook it, you fry an egg in that, it's unbelievable. It's, it's mind-blowing. So you've got this beautiful, um, where non-homogenized, non-standardized product where it's, it's evolving. Those cultures uh, are almost eating each other to survive, you know what I mean? And they're bringing out those really beautiful flavors and complexity in the butter, which, which I absolutely adore. You know, so uh, I mean, majority of people. So we see big opportunity there because majority of people that buy our butter, um, they'll be standing right next to me at the farmers markets and go, oh, "I'll buy some to- um, some salted butter for my bread, but I'm making a cake. I'll go get some supermarket unsalted butter for that." And I'm like, "Oh my god, you make you make a cake out of this unsalted butter, it'll change your life because it's so." It's so rich and you know, unadulterated. It's just it, it it's got its own flavor, complexity, and and in cooking. And the unknown about cultured butter is as soon as you heat it up, the flavors are just com- releasing. You know what I mean? It's just mind blowing. Mm. You mentioned uh, how much uh, the butter changes over a couple of months in the in the fridge and has a different aromas and flavors and textures it doesn't last that long in the fridge in our house but for for those that uh, it does last that long what's you talked about shelf stable and shelf life and for a natural product like this um how what are the ways in dealing with uh, the keeping the longevity of the product oh look you definitely i mean the three enemies of 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 any butter and especially our butter is water, air and light. That's what oxidizes butter. So if you if you're treating this butter like you would a supermarket butter that that that's got those sort of um, it's been ultra treated to and it won't take on any, any smells of the fridge, for example. Ours will. Ours is a natural product. You put it in the fridge and if you don't cover it properly and you don't have it sealed and, you know, it's away from the light, you just leave it open, yeah, it's going to change in colour. It's going to, you know, it's going to, um, it's going to accelerate the, the oxidisation of the, of the fat, you know, that, that's what happens. That's just natural. Um, so, I mean, I would have it in a sealed container. Um I would have it not in a in a see-through container. I would have it in a dark container so no light can go in. And the butter should last, you know, way over the expiry date of it, way over. Like we just have that as a guide, you know. But um, we've got people that come in here and they go, oh, we, we actually prefer if you would age it a bit longer before you sold it to us. And we're like, well, we don't do that. But they buy like two, three uh, three kilo lots and they age it 
they just cut it up and age it in their back of their fridge. And it, and the flavor, the, the, the complexities that they, they use, it depends on your taste as well, right? So some people love it sour and tangy. We get complaints about people going, oh, it's too sour and too tangy for, for my liking. And, and that's fair, right? It's not, it's not for everyone. We're not, it's not for, for people that, that like um, beige. This is not their butter. And we accept that. You mentioned that uh, you still have the same process from the very beginning because you love the, uh, the, the outcome and the product and the flavors that uh, are in the butter. Has that been a challenge with the growth of Pepe Sour over the years? Absolutely. I mean, when you make when you're making a handmade product like we do, the the biggest challenge you have is consistency. So we we always had a thing where we we because your biggest challenge is consistency. We always used to say we've got to celebrate the inconsistencies, and we celebrate those by communicating to people what our product is. Now, it's very hard when you're a small player and and you know limited in in spend on advertising or marketing to be able to tell the right message to people, you know what I mean? Like say, okay, well, it is changing. The cream, you know, from from up north is different from down south and the flavors are going to come out. And, you know, like how many people know that in, there's a spring flush that happens and, and the cream smells like udders, you know, during spring? I mean, that that's just a natural thing. Now, the butter has that f- the, the flavors transfer into the fat and, and when you eat it and it's different and it's beautiful, but it's different. So if you buy a butter, say in August, and then you buy our butter in January, it's completely different, completely. It's like another product. So they're the, they're the biggest challenges we've had to deal with in a homogenized sort of food space, if you know what I mean. Uh, because people are used to buying, you know, when you buy this milk or this beverage or this food, it always tastes the same. And that's, that's your expectations, obviously. So we have to change those expectations people have about a naturally made product. You're renowned as Australia's best butter producer, but you started, have I say, by accident. Can you take us back to those days? Yeah, look, uh, we originally went into food making uh, desserts and uh, we were making desserts from from cream, uh, like a panna cotta, tiramisu, uh, chocolate mousses that were available at Harris Farm, Thomas Dark's and, and a lot of the independent fruit shops and delis. And uh, we came to Christmas, I think it was 2009, and we had a lot of cream left over. I think it was about 200 litres of cream. And then instead of, well, we first we did the call around to everyone we knew in the sort of food manufacturing and and no one wanted the cream because obviously everyone was going to shut for two to three weeks. Um, and then we decided, look, instead of wasting this cream, let's turn it into butter, like get the fat out and then we can, you know, use it to make some crumbles or cake or, or whatever. <laughs> it was actually a disaster. We, uh, we, we, um, we got about 10 kilos of butter out of 200 liters of cream. Ha- had no idea what we were doing really. And, uh, but we gave it a, a shot. And I remember very clearly taking some home uh, to, to Mrs. Pep. And, and uh, I was so proud we made butter. 
and she and she had a try of it, and it was she was going no 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 don't make don't make this product it do, it doesn't work, and and I think that that's the that was the 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 um you know the the turning point her comment to me was the actual reason that Peppy Sayer exists today that that her saying that it just challenged me in okay well what makes good tasting butter so that's always been with us like okay well what makes good tasting butter how do we make good tasting butter and then the research started and it took about a year to sort of develop the understanding you need to to make this product and then and then when it we when we started making small amounts it was time to understand where the market was and then the 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 biggest thing that hit us was was that okay we're a daring nation yet every restaurant is using imported butters to serve on their table it was like wow this is this is big like why are they doing that and when you ask the question why Everyone was like, oh, well, Australian butter tastes like salt and water. And people come to our restaurant for an experience. We have to give them the best experience with, you know, when you served uh, bread and butter, you want that ultimate experience of flavor. And, and you know, like it, it's very hard to look back at, you know, pre-2010 on what that landscape sort of looked like. But um, to me, I know it very well because – I was trying to look for the opportunity in the market. So for me, it really resonates and it's still that those conversations from 2010 and 2009 that I had with chefs still resonate with me quite uh, a lot. And now I look at the landscape now and, um, you know, it's very similar to if Air France served Australian butter on its planes, there'd be riots in the Champs-Élysées. I mean... Same thing now with the Australian restaurant landscape. You know, if a, if a chef with a beautiful harbour view served uh, a French butter, uh, that they, probably, you know, he'd be frowned upon, right? He'd be like, well, why aren't you supporting Australian produce, especially when it's, you know, one of our key farming, um, you know, outputs. Like, you've you got to support your farmers, right? You've got to support the whole industry. In those early days, was there was there a key moment that uh, really accelerated the business and got it got it got it on the fast track to success? There, there was the key moment was probably in mid of two thousand and eleven, when I was uh, sitting on the couch, and I said to Mel, "I think we're going to have to throw it in, like we're not going to continue with Pepe Sayer. Uh because what was happening is we were we were getting a we were making the butter, the, the flavour was good. It was being sold at, um, at the farmer's markets at Carriage Works. But we couldn't break into the, the bigger market, which was the restaurants and cafes. We just couldn't get it across the line. It was very difficult. Uh, we couldn't really get into retail because that sort of um, – it was a very hard market to get into uh, at the time. Like we – we really struggled to get into, you know, um, the retail sector, the delis, the um, all of that. I, I must say, we did have great support from Harris Farm at the time, but it wasn't a, it, 
it was great, but it wasn't enough. You know what I mean? Like when you're talking about um, to sustain, you need a, a, a healthy turnover to sustain the the uh, the business, and we just we just couldn't get it. We we just could not um, get that. So I think the defining moment that accelerated it was Mel looking at me and go, well, crying on the couch is not going to help. You got to get out there and sell the bloody butter, you know, like that's what you got to do. You got to change the way you're doing it. And, and that kick up the backside from Mel really was the changing point in sort of the way we looked at our branding, our marketing, because when you think about the Pepe Sayer branding and marketing and, and what we did there, uh, and we've had a lot of great people help us do it. This is not a credit to me. This is the people that made it happen for us. Um, you'll you'll notice that <laughs> that was the changing point around that time, around the tears on the couch, and you know, get out there, and you just got to get out there and do it. And and that's what we did. And that that was the the changing point. And then we, we we there was a snowball sort of effect that happened from that positive energy that we were out there going, no, 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 you support Australian. We're making really good butter. Just give it a go. And oh my God, the amount of butter we've given away. Sort of like half the time it was like, oh, just have the butter. <laughs> you know, just try it. Just just have it. So yeah, it was it was it was gut wrenching, it was horrible, it was it was all those things. But at the same time, you know, you look back and you go, We learnt valuable lessons, we are who we are today because of those those circumstances and we're very proud of the fact that it it, it was it, it, it was born out of nothing. You know, like the, like now nothing is taken for granted by us, nothing. So anyone that deals with us out there knows that we take nothing for granted, absolutely nothing. So I guess, so they're the positives, you know, and and I think the definitely there's certain points that obviously helped snowball um, the butter uh, being, you know, going further, you know, like, like, um, being on Qantas helped us carry that message through, you know, like people notice you're, you're on the, the national airline and they go, oh, maybe we should give that a go. So there's all these things, but, but what, I guess what I'm trying to say is if, if you don't get up and do that, then you're not on Qantas to start with and you can't use that to say leverage the business, right? So you've still got to, it's got to come from you. It's like, it'd be great to say, oh, because of Qantas, we have a successful business, but that would be unfair to everyone that worked really hard to get us onto Qantas in the first place. Do you, do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, even though we give a lot of credit to the partners that served our butter and, 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 and buy our butter, we've also got to give credit to the people that went out there, told our story. Um, we got out there and knocked on doors, you know, went out there basically begging for people to have our butter and stock our butter and use our butter and try our butter. Uh, you know, the endless Saturdays at Carriage Works Markets, putting butter on bread and getting it into people's mouths. I mean, wow. You know, like we were going through six kilos um a Saturday morning of butter, just putting it on bread. And, and, you know, 
and and thanking how can you not thank sonoma bread for giving us the bread <laughs> how can you you know like how much money would have that cost me to to if i had to buy the bread you know to to put six kilos of butter on bread you know like these guys it, there's so many people that that helped us um like entry to market it's a it's a i could i could like it's it's hair raising stuff. I can't even start to explain to you that the what we went through to sort of get to where we are today. Like people look at us today and they go, "Oh, you know, you've done so well." Yeah, yeah, we've done really well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't forget those tears on the couch. You know, like, but but, uh, but I mean, you know, like maybe maybe in comparison to other people, we've had it really easy. I I, I couldn't tell you that. I, I can only um, tell you what we went through, and you know, but but I, I'm sure you know, other people have even had it tougher. Like one of the hardest things to do is enter the market. So you can make a beautiful product, and then if it's not marketed right, it's not packaged right, it's not this, it's not that. It's never going to get into anywhere. You don't just make butter. You also make a range of products like creme fraiche, uh, lemon curd, and ghee. I know ghee is a favourite. And tell me about that. Yeah, the ghee, the ghee came out of um, was very left field. So it was it was before the the sort of um, the the Western sort of societies took on ghee in a big way, uh, which we we sort of have now. Uh, our uh, majority of our staff um, at at the time when we started making the ghee around 2014, 15, or maybe 13, I can't remember the, the actual date, um, a lot, I, I'd see a lot of our staff that were Nepalese and Indian background uh, would, would be taking, because we have an open policy that anything we make, staff can just take. Uh, don't have to hide it, just just walk in, tell tell write it down what you've taken there's it's free for our staff right they can take as much butter as, as they want home and um and it just it just by accident i saw one of the young ladies that works with us that was nepalese background she took a two kilo wheel home and i happened as she's walking out i just what happened to want to know what do you do with the butter like i just assumed she'd cut it up and give it to friends and family and she said to me i make ghee out of it and I'm like, wow, okay, that's interesting. And uh, how do you make the ghee? And then she explained to me how we make the ghee. And then uh, our manager, Haran, is is also of Indian descent. And I started talking to him about it. And we we're like, this is an interesting product. We should be making this uh, because then we'd, we'd be able to have a zero waste um business because you, you obviously have off cuts and leftovers. I mean, we're a butter business, right? So we're always going to have, uh, you know, if we make butter this week and we have leftover uh, for the following week, we don't really want to send that out because we want everything leaving our factory to be 100% fresh, right? So I said, well, why don't we make the ghee? Let's start experimenting with the ghee on, on, on this. And we started experimenting, and we had we did we did bring in some outside help to help us as well. You know, we had a, a yogi uh, Gemma that came in and helped us um, make it to a very very traditional way. I mean, the first time we made ghee was, you know, we we were chan- uh, we we chanted the the well we 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 
we hum, I don't know if you hum or you sing or whatever, uh, the mantra 140 times as we were stirring the ghee. I mean, we did, let's wow. say we don't do that now. <laughs> it take way too long. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I was learning the mantra uh, at the time when we, were, when we were making the first lot of ghee. Uh, so it was very interesting. It was very challenging. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. I, I mean, ghee to me obviously means very, very different thing than it did before. Like I've, I've always known what ghee is, but I've never made ghee before that. Um, I mean, we use a lot of ghee in Middle Eastern cuisine because um, it's essentially clarified butter, but the difference between it is when you when you clarify butter, you sort of split the butter and you have the white sort of, um, uh, proteins and and you know milk solids at the bottom, and then the, the 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 oil floats to the top, right? And most chefs would use that to make their hollandaise or bernaise or or cook with or whatever. But with ghee, what you do is you you take it further. You 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 simmer that that clarified butter for another four hours. So what happens is those those milk solids that are or the white liquid as it's seen as milk solids that sit at the bottom, caramelize and become solid. And that's when you've made ghee. So, and you get a caramelization through the ghee that only comes from, from cooking those milk solids for a long period of time. And it's, and it's beautiful, beautiful. And to make it out of cultured butter is like, wow, it's, it's another level. So we, we make two geese. We make an organic ghee from just plain um, organic cream and we don't culture it. And then we make the ghee out of the cultured butter. And the ghee out of the cultured butter is like unbelievable. It's, it's next level, you know, like flavor and you roast your potatoes with that. It's just unbelievable. You make a curry with that. Like, you know, the, the base of any good curry is like cooking off your spices um, in the ghee, right? And that's how you get your base. And you do that with this ghee. The flavor is unbelievable. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. You also have a range of uh, bulk butter, butter sheets for pastry. How have they changed the business? Well, uh, uh, Popular, uh, popular belief is that we make our money from selling cultured butter and we don't. We don't. Um, that's sort of a break-even part of our business, the Pepisaya cultured butter. The, the, we, we make what pays our electricity bills and our you know, trucks and everything else is our um, bulk butter and our butter sheets because that's where the volumes are. So um, a small bakery would go through 200 kilos of butter uh, a week minimum, right? Now, uh, when you compare that to a, to a deli, uh, they're lucky if they sell six units of butter, so two, bo- two little boxes of retail butter. So there's a big uh, difference in, in how we scale up the business. So our butter sheets, our bulk butter, that's where the real volume is. Um, and, and the difficulty level there is much, much higher. So um, a lot of our investments in, in the business itself is to make uh, butter sheets and trying to perfect the butter sheets that, 
that you know Sonoma uh, would use to make their croissants, for example, which we're very proud of. The fact that Sonoma use our butter sheets to make all their croissants, absolutely fantastic. Has there been any highlights over over the years with with Pepe Sayer for you? Uh, I think I think the you know the biggest highlight is that people like our product. That 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 to me like. You know, when someone says, oh, I bought your butter and I made this or it tasted amazing, that's it. It's done. I'm, I'm on, I'm, I'm in heaven. When that's people that know me, they know that all, all you have to do is pay Peppy a compliment about the butter and he's whatever you want, he'll, he'll give you whatever you want him to do, he'll do, you know? Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and, and in saying that people that complain, and this is really important to say, people that complain, we can't thank them enough because they're the ones that have that have changed our business and helped us understand that we need to do better. And and we we can't thank them enough, you know, because that that's the driving force as well. You know, people that change, they change the world people that say hey you could do this better yeah you need to stop and listen and go yes i can and you need to do it if you're serious about what you're doing uh, you and your team have worked so hard on this brand an extraordinary product what's next for pepe say i think for us it's more about just perfecting 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 so like I, I do get asked this question a lot and I have thought about it very carefully. Like, okay, well, what's next for Pepe Saya? People ask me that, like what's next? And I, I don't think there's an answer of there, there isn't, this is it. There isn't anything next. It's not about taking our attention off what we're doing. It's about becoming better, becoming better and better and making it better and and putting our customer in the in the center of that discussion so the customer is in the center and then we have to supply to that demand and and to make this the most amazing butter that it's 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 wanted or or demanded all over the world you know that that's our aim our aim is you know to to want to make excellence in and and the biggest challenge we have is communicating that message properly you know because i walk in here and i i look at what we're doing and and i go wow this is this is really hair raising stuff like we're making an amazing butter amazing profile flavor how do i get the person next to me to to understand that and that's the big challenge that we've got so whilst we've got those challenges um that's what's next for us you know Th those challenges are next <laughs> well pepe you are bloody inspiring mate and it's always great to catch up with you we'd love having you on deep in the weeds and um and really appreciate your support as well um We'll uh, catch up again soon and see what's happening in the world of Pepe Sayer. Thanks a lot. Cheers. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast. 
or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.